Without a doubt, when I think of the Bobby Branch Church, I have warm feelings and great thoughts about you. I think of a sound congregation. I think of ones that have, for a long many years, been known for their love for truth, stand for truth, steady as you go. When I think of Bobby Branch, I think of Tony. And I know this sounds like a mutual admiration society tonight, but I cannot stand here without saying some extremely personal things about the love that I have for he and his dear family and the association that we've had for about three decades. There are some memories that we have and some things that we've kind of gotten into together, whether it be computer works and things of that nature. But there's never been a time Well, when I pick up the phone or get on iChat or whatever it may be on the computer, but what he's always there. You can't have a better friend, and I love him dearly. I love you elders. I may not have the intimate relationship or be able to even maybe call you by name. I know that elderships change at different times from when a preacher returns to a place. But I know what you stand for. And I see the products of what you're putting out, meaning everything from the lectureship to the series to the things that I read in your weekly bulletin that I receive digitally. And I look at and read that every time I get it. So I love this eldership. And you members, teachers, every one of you. You see, those of us from afar look at that with great, great respect. When a preacher stands in a pulpit and especially looks at a subject similar to what I have tonight, you never know the composition of the audience. Just in the same way that if I were to preach on first principles at a congregation that I might not know that well, I do not know actually who are members of the church and who are not. A few months ago, I was invited to come down to a Florida congregation and preach on church discipline, three lessons. And you see, as I looked out over the audience, I did not know who was for it or against it. I didn't know exactly how it was going to be received, exactly whatever it was. But the point is, this audience, comprising tonight's assembly, there easily could be those that say to this subject, Why do we even need to waste our time? What do we need to possibly do something? I mean, it's it's the most foreign thing from my mind that I could possibly ever even consider. There may be others on the further extreme that are bothered with this matter, whose lives have been affected. And it may very well be that you're addicted. It may be that you hardly even know that you are addicted. And it may very well be that your marriage, your relationship with your spouse has been damaged and or affected significantly, negatively, almost certainly. And there's no doubt many that are in between that. Maybe some have at times past, maybe spent some time on the web or looking at magazines that they should not. Or maybe there's been those that have been addicted, but not anymore. You've repented of that. So wherever you find yourself, 
And even if it's nothing more than a bystander, let's say that you have never been bothered, it is not a matter of an issue to you at all, but it may very well be, and I implore you to listen carefully, because even though it may not be a matter of concern to you, it very likely will be that you could maybe help others, or if nothing else, stand against that which is evil. Let's plunge into our subject. We're talking about the Holy Bible and what it has to say. When we look at a subject such as this, we still want to go to that book. We want to understand what God has said. And there may be some words that we use today that are not necessarily found in my King James Bible. It may be in a more modern version, but even then they change, the words change so often. But how great it is that we have a word from God, the book of God, that deals in generics as well as specifics in a way to where we can identify that which is immoral, that which is ungodly, that which is unacceptable in the sight of God, an action, an attitude, an involvement. So we'll be going to that book. But first, let's lay some foundation. When we literally talk about pornography, we might refer to it as the battle against sexual immorality, the battle against lust. I'm going to speak somewhat plain tonight. I'm not trying to be offensive in any way to anyone. But if we watch television, and if our children watch television, if our children are listening to music, if our children are going to the movie theater, if our children are watching videos, they already have been exposed extremely so, and maybe far more what we might call tragically up to speed than maybe mama and daddy or nana and papa. What we need to do, though, is establish the problem. The pornography industry has increased 1,000-fold in the last 25 years. Over 10 billion, 10 billion now, not M with a million, but billion annual revenue from pornography. Which happens to be, it's hard for us to grasp maybe how much a billion, billion is, much less 10, but 10 billion is more than the National Football League Major by baseball, as well as the NBA, all put together. All of their revenues. Pornography generates more than that. Or, another way to say it, more than ABC, CBS, and NBC put together. In other words, we're talking about a staggering industry that is demoralizing and tragedy is striking because of it in homes across America. From 9, 9 p.m. to 1 a.m., According to the latest statistics that I was able to pull together, approximately a quarter of a million plus are those that are having what's called phone sex. A quarter of a million people are paying to be able to talk on the phone to someone that is on the other end talking in a sexual way or talking about what they'd like to do or have done or would do. 25% of all search engine requests are connected in some way, either soft porn or hardcore porn. 
over $320 million on fee-based porn. You pay a set fee, $9.95 a month, $19.95 a month, whatever it may be, in the similar way that you might do Netflix or other, other ways of fee-based items, but here it's porn that you can set in the privacy of your home. You may be able to worship on Sunday morning, worship Almighty God, and, and say, oh, how I love Jesus, and I want to be a, sir, pure in heart, oh God, and, and all of these songs, and then go home that night and engage in such horrendous, immoral actions. Oh, I know of some things that have taken place. I'll not go into the details of it, but I know of elders and preachers both that have committed Horrible crimes, crimes of sexuality I'm talking about. So, pornography, some says that, well, that's the victimless action. It's not so bad. It doesn't really affect, well, let's see if it does. Let's pursue further. When we talk about the average age of first exposure to pornography is 11. My youngest grandchild is Bryce. Bryce is a Christian. He's 11. He's going to tell you he's going to be 12 in about three weeks because that's when his mom and dad said he could have an iPhone. So in other words, he's counting the days, but that little boy is 11. When I think about him looking and being exposed, it breaks my heart and makes me mad. The average age not only is something important, but ages 12 through 17 is the highest use, Internet users concerning pornography sites. Playboy's website, for an example, a statistic I read just yesterday, has over 5 million hits a day. So it may not be in our home. Hopefully it's not. It may not be something that we have ever done and hopefully never will do. But here is a plague on our society. Here is a problem that we need to address. Here is something that we really need to come to grips with and understand that it's a problem. It is a problem. It's a problem in the world, but it's also a problem tragically, even more horrendous when it's in the church. You say, well, if Paul is not here at Bible Branch, I would not likely come back and say, well, it's not at East Hill in Pulaski. But if the truth were probably known, it's likely at both, at least to some level or some degree. Let me take a tangent here just for a minute, kind of do a sidebar for a second. I mean, even if it's not going on the porn sites, even if it's not fee-based, even if it's not the buying of the Playboy or Hustler or whatever other filthy magazine, even if it's not anything that bad, look at Victoria's Secret's commercials. Look at their presentation annually. I mean, look at all the cars and the toothpaste and everything else that is being sold with what we, keep in mind now, graduated here in 1964, McMinnville City High School. When we graduated, what is visible on a regular, almost hourly basis, teenagers, all of us would have had to bought a magazine to have seen that. But not in the world we live in. So what we're talking about is not only that which is internet-based or magazine-based, but that which we see on television. So we need to address that in this overall overview as well. Ninety percent of children aged 8 to 16 have viewed porn. Porn sites comprise approximately 12 percent of the internet. 
So let's look at pornography. What actually are we talking about? Well, how would we define the word? Well, let's, let's look at that. According to Merriam-Webster, it is defined the depiction of erotic behavior, as in pictures or in writing, intended to cause sexual excitement. Now, there's that S word again. Let me take another sidebar for a second. While we do not find maybe some of the terms of some of the words in this book, let us establish the fact that to say sex or sexual is not wrong. Sex is not in itself evil. God has created a man and a woman with physical desires, whether it be thirst, whether it be hunger, as well as sexually. But God has placed the parameters in which that is to be fulfilled. And outside of those parameters is evil. It is immoral. But it, we cannot just blankly say, see, sexual or sex. I mean, we should never even mention the word. We don't need to even talk about it. If that's our attitude, we're not equipping our children and our grandchildren to face the problems that they face in their life. But we're talking about the depiction of erotic behavior. But let's go further. It is from the Greek compound word, and without going into a lot of the details, look at the two that puts it together. Porn, pone, or that which means whore, or harlot, or prostitute, and grapho, that which means to be in writing, or in drawing. In other words, pornography, that which will cause excitement, that which will lead our minds down a path that we do not need to go, a path of immorality. And we can even go back, it is not a new problem to us today, we can go back to ancient times, ancient vices, Pictures on walls, carvings on stone that depicted nudity, intercourse, and sexual perversion 2,000 or more years ago. So we're not talking about a mere 21st century problem, but it is a problem even more prevalent seemingly, at least in a wholesale basis, as it, that it has ever been. The terms that sometimes are employed are soft porn, hard Core porn. And, and we sometimes begin to think, you know how we do it with lies? Well, it's just a little black lie. I mean, a little gray lie, a little white lie. It's not a black lie. I mean, it's just a little white lie. We, we quantify it. We, we kind of describe it. We dumb it down. Uh, the, the problem is we're, we're making it where it's more tolerable in that way. The same as what we're doing here. Adultery was well, just having an affair. Uh, uh, alcoholism and drunkard, well, we've toned that down as well. In the same way we're doing it here. Soft porn, how our consumers in our society are bombarded. As I alluded to a moment ago, concerning all of the commercials, from toothpaste to hamburgers to cars, you probably can bring to your mind's eye, if you've watched television any in recent weeks and months, the hamburger and the lewd, the vile, and the sinful near-naked woman that has that burger in her hand? And what are we doing before our mind's eye? How are we numbing ourselves, supposedly to the idea of it being acceptable, it being all right? I mean, we see it on television, don't we? And if mom and dad are silent about it, if grandmother and granddaddy do not say any word, I mean, I remember the time when my dad heard the word damn on television for the very first time. He turned the television off. I thought I'd here was a 13-year-old, and I thought I'd never watch television again. 
and probably shouldn't have. But you see, that was so astonishing and amazing to, to my father. But we're not ashamed anymore. You remember the Old Testament passage when they could not blush anymore? They were not ashamed. We've allowed ourselves to have this come into our home on a regular basis continually, and we just, we just, we just call it commercials, you know. Uh, we can't turn them all off, and we still want to watch our favorite television programs. It's not hardcore porn that explodes that epidemic of vile, nothing with hell, sodomistic, depraved action. That's the way one magazine recently wrote about it. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27 and 28. My Lord, in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, said this. You have heard that it hath been said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, in other words, here's what you heard, here's what the old law says, but I'm telling you that if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery already in your heart. Has that changed? It has not. Those spoken almost 2,000 years ago didn't live in the time in which we live, but it's still just as applicable today as it was then. In other words, my Lord and my Savior recognized it was wrong to commit adultery. It was wrong to commit fornication, that generic term that refers to all sexual immorality. But it's also, Jesus said, but I, I'm telling you now, in addition to adultery, in addition to fornication, if you even look upon a woman to lust after her, you've the same as committed adultery in your heart. In your heart. Didn't say physically. But my Lord and my Savior has narrowed it down to where when we, with our eyes, we, with our minds, when we consider, when we think on, remember Proverbs 23 and verse 6, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What would Jesus do, we might say? We see that WWJD. I mean, I'm not a big fan of that, but, but consider it in this realm, in our homes, with the television programs that we have and the commercials that we see. Would Jesus sit there with us and visit? Would we likely not turn it off when he got there? For fear that it might come on, anything. I'm a big fan of DVRs. My wife gets perturbed at me at times because I fast forward and fast forward. Don't always stop at the right place. You ever had that problem at home? I hope you have. I'm not the only one maybe. But at the same time, I don't care. The idea is I don't want to see that garbage. And what we're seeing, whatever it may be, I want to make sure that I eliminate that part in my home. Because we have it literally flashed before our eyes, thrown in our face on almost every side. A movie comes out and our teenagers say, oh, i got to go see that. All my friends have gone to see that. Oh, it's going to be really great. It's got my favorite actor or actress in it. I mean, I've just got to go see it. I know, Daddy, it's, it's X-rated or R-rated or PG or whatever it may be. And, and you see, moms and dad, if you want to, you can actually go on the web and find out how many times it has this word or that word or this word, how many sex scenes it might have in it. You can actually have the count available to you before your child or grandchild even goes to see that. But they just got to go see it. And, and young people don't get mad at me. 
I mean, I'm not saying that all movies are wrong, but we need to make sure that we're careful about what we're feeding upon. Because there's a war going on. Jesus spoke about it. The Apostle Paul defined it clearly. I mean, clearly, concisely told us about we cannot be spiritual and carnal. We cannot live in the flesh and be spiritual people on our way to heaven. It's a challenge to live in this world. We're told in Philippians chapter 3, remember, we're to shine as lights in this dark and perverse world. We're not to be conformed to this world, Romans 12. We're not to love this world, 1 John 2. We're not to be friends with this world from the standpoint of intertwined, James chapter 4 and verse 4. You see, there's a war going on. Satan is the enemy, and he's going to do everything. He's going to employ everything that he can to try to get you and destroy you. If he doesn't have you now, he wants you right now. And if he's not bothering you now, you need to be careful because he may already have you. If he doesn't have you, he's going to be tempting you. He's going to try to discourage you. He's going to try to twist you and nudge you into being like the world and conform to the world and fall prey to the temptations. There's a war. In 1 Peter 5, we're told the devil is our adversary. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he can sift you as wheat. He can shred you. If he doesn't have you, he wants you. We don't have time tonight, but I'm going to at least allude to the recent decision that should break our heart and cause us concern. The Apostle Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy, referred to perilous times. If ever there was a time in our life, we would have to admit that this is it. When God's authority and standard is rejected, when the terms of marriage and the home are being redefined, and we're dumbing down these actions, and a lot of it may very well have to do with own that which we're feeding with our eyes and our minds. But as I've already pointed out, it's not a new problem. We can read in 2 Timothy 3, Paul said, Perilous times shall come. To the Corinthians, he would speak about the church that was comprised at that time of those people who had been idolaters and adulterers and fornicators and effeminate. You say, well, see, there it is. Yes, but it also said, such were some of you. But you've been washed, you've been cleansed, you've been justified, you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. In other words, you... We're involved in that. Can a prostitute be saved? Yes. Can a homosexual be saved? Yes. Can an adulterer be saved? Yes. When we get out of that sinful practice, when we leave that lifestyle, just as the Corinthians did, you see, they had a problem then. And we can also read in 2 Peter chapter 2 and 20 and verse following, where it spoke about how that we need to be careful, even after becoming children, we can be entangled and overcome again. It's not a guarantee just because we've been immersed in water, come up out of that water a new creature, that we're going to heaven. We can be just like Demas. 2 Timothy 4.10 He loved this present world and he forsook the Lord. In Romans chapter 1, we read where he there are those that commit such things. They're worthy of death according to what the Scriptures say. There's a book out that's called As It Was in the Days of Noah. Without going into looking at all the Scripture, but we know 
that the world had become so evil that God was sorry that He'd even created the world. I want to quickly look at a few things and then get more to the practical suggestions. There are five stages of pornography addiction. The early exposure, the addiction, the desensitization, as well as the escalation, as well as the acting out sexually. I mentioned earlier that in this audience or any group of this size, there could be no, no doubt those in different stages, even here. I hope that there's not. But for us to be at least warned, to help us to be on guard, to help us then be able to look back and say, I'll have no part of it. Maybe if nothing else, we accomplish that tonight. Portions of what I'm about to show you are from Men's Health magazine. That is the harmful effects, personally, from the standpoint of in our homes around us. It lowers moral values. It degrades oftentimes the women, the young girls, or how horrific it is, is it for us to even put it in our, in our minds, children. It destroys the beauty of intimacy as God designed it. God said to that one man in the Garden of Eden, it's not good for you to be alone. He created a helpmeet, and those two became one flesh, as it were. Jesus referred to it in Matthew 19 as it was in the beginning. Here's God's plan. Here's how He designed it. Here's how He desires it today. And we can't manipulate the plan. The Supreme Court is not the Supreme Court. God Almighty is. But it looks at this problem de destroys the beauty of that marriage bond. That intimacy between a man and a woman. The bed is to be undefiled, Hebrews 13 and verse 4. Number three, it is progressive. As we notice the stages, it may begin just as minor. Something you can explain away. Something you can say, well, that's not a big problem to me. But it never stops there if left unabated. Number four, it creates unrealistic expectations. It exploits others' need for money. Maybe a young girl is desperate and she sells herself to be filmed or to be photographed or whatever it may be, exploits that. It amplifies emotional problems. It is linked to crimes of rape and incest. It counterfeits true intimacy. It disrupts real and sincere and genuine relationships and it hurts your spouse and can ultimately destroy your marriage. Now, if there's any in this audience, any that ever hears this by way of tape or recording or whatever, don't excuse yourself by saying, I've got it under control. I'm not going to let it get out of hand. I'm only doing just a little bit and it really is not much and it's all right. It's never been all right. It's harmful. It's destructive. And it plunges destructively through all demographics. It matters not if you're white or black, rich or poor. It matters not no matter what religion you have or educational levels you have attained. There are CEOs. There are presidents of corporations that have been exposed as spending a significant amount of time when they're supposed to have been working, paying for their, I mean, getting their high salaries. And they're spending their time looking at pornographic images. 
I mentioned a moment ago that some claim that this is the victimless involvement. But the women who pose that away, the ones who view it, the spouses who suffer in so many different ways, children that are oftentimes abused because of it, women that ultimately are raped as they begin to play it out actively in real, real life, as well as society and the burden that we all bear because of the divorce and the crime and the disorder that's brought about because of it. It's never a victimless crime. Now let's look at what the Bible says. The Bible tells us in Matthew 5, as we've already read, if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery already in your heart. We compare that to Mark chapter 7, where... Mark's account of the gospel record as well. In Romans chapter 1, the young man that read for us in verses 29 through 32, there are lists that we find in the scriptures. And we can literally itemize these particular things that are spoken in verse 29. Do you notice that after unrighteousness, fornication is listed? That term that is found in the Scripture, that refers to all sexual immorality. He said, being filled with all of these, whether it's wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of injury, but it going down to without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, things that certainly are applicable to the idea of God's original natural design of a man and a woman. And verse 32, Paul, being the inspired writer, summarizes who says, Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, they not only do them, but they have pleasure in them that do them. If that doesn't cover fully those that do that which is wrong, and those that have pleasure in seeing, looking at, watching, whatever it may be, those that are doing wrong. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, as we referred a moment ago, to such were some of you, where Paul was identifying those that had left such immorality. That's in verses 9, 10, and 11 and following. But look on down to verse 18, when it says, Flee fornication. Every sin, sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. He goes on in verses 19 and 20 and tells us that our bodies are the temple of God. In other words, we've got to flee it. Hold the thought for a moment. In the same way as we read over in Genesis 37 through 50 of the life of Joseph. Remember, in Potiphar's house, when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, tried to get him to go to bed, and he literally ran away. He got out of his coat, I mean literally took it off to get away from Potiphar's wife who was trying to get him to do evil. And he wasn't going to have any part of it. And if we have, was Joseph a coward? Was Joseph scared? Was Joseph somebody that ought to have more courage? No. He demonstrated great courage and great commitment and loyalty to God. He was not going to sin in that way with his master's wife or any other one that was not his wife. In 1 John 2, we're told, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. In other words, these things are not of God. These things are of Satan. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8, 9, and 10, we read. We know that the law is good. But any man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for righteous man, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of mothers and fathers, for manslayers, that is killers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjurers, etc. And he goes on further and identifies that these are those that shall suffer persecution, shall suffer the consequences. In Romans 12, Paul would say, don't be conformed. Don't let the world press you into its mold. You don't have to say what they say. You don't have to go where they go. You don't have to dress like they dress. You have to make sure that you're separate because in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 17, Paul would say, come out from among them and be ye separate. You can't be evil like the world and come to church and serve God and worship God and, I mean, be acceptable in His sight. In 2 Peter 2 and 14, Simon Peter would make some statements. Let me read verse 14 to you. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, pornography, beguiling unstable souls, a heart they have exercised with covetous practices. They have forsaken the right way. They've gone astray, verse 15. You see, the word pornography, oh, it's not found in this book. But do we not see it clearly identified and, a, and, and so clearly exposed as that which is violating what God desires from our life? So what can we do? Here's what the Bible says, but here's where I live today. I want to offer just some thoughts. This is not a absolutely pattern and from the standpoint of you do this and this and this and this and you're going to be all right. But here's some thoughts. We've got to recognize that it's evil. It's adultery of the heart. It's what Jesus said in Matthew 5. It's not something that I can take or leave. It's not something that I can say, well, some people don't, you know, no problem. No, don't get upset about it, Brother Paul. We need to ask God's forgiveness if we have been involved on any level, in any stage. As God's children, we must let our light so shine before men. Matthew 5, 16. We've got to shine in this world of darkness, Philippians 3. We've got to make sure that we're letting the whole world know that we are in Jesus Christ on our way to heaven. And if I have done this behind the scenes... If no one knows it but God Almighty, let me fall to my knees and privately ask my God to please have mercy upon me and forgive me of that which I have done. I've sinned. If others know it, if my spouse or if anybody knows it for that matter, maybe someone has seen something on your computer. Maybe they're aware of what you paid for because of a credit card charge. Whatever it may be, ask for forgiveness and start afresh with a resolve of I'll not let that which is evil and vile and sinful go into my mind through my eyes. 
I've got to make sure that I get away from the opportunities. The alcoholic is always going to be an alcoholic. I don't understand that. That's what I've been told. But that alcoholic doesn't need to work in a bar. That individual that has a temptation of that, and he doesn't need to go out with his friends where they're going to be drinking. We've got to make sure. I mean, Satan knows you so well, knows me. He knows where I'm vulnerable. He knows where I'm weak. Alcohol is no attraction to me whatsoever, but he knows where I might be tempted. And that's where he's going to bombard me. The hardest, he'll do the same with you. If I need to, let me start a support system. Let me confide in an elder, a good friend, a spiritual friend. Let me ask for their help. Be accountable to them. Let me likewise abstain. Listen to that word. Listen to the word flee. Recognize that it's strength that is being demonstrated when you have the ability of saying, I'm going to shut this off. I'm going to get away from it. Let me dwell on pure things. Remember what Paul told the Philippian brethren, Philippians 4. Whatsoever things are pure and holy, all of these things pure is one of them. Think on these things. Let me likewise become a a greater, more powerful, more involved, passionate, spiritual person. You see, if I repudiate out of my life, if I completely purge out of my life anything that might be evil and questionable and that might be a temptation, and if I focus instead upon my Lord and my Savior and the One that died for me and reaching heaven, that prepared mansion that He said He would prepare for us, then I have eliminated the temptation and helped myself spiritually. Simultaneously, I need to plead for God's help. He already knows. He knows everything. You can't hide anything from Him. But for me to lay before Him, Father, I'm weak in this way. I've already been guilty in some ways. I've watched television with a purpose of maybe, whatever it may be. But acknowledge it and ask God to help me. Now, and recently I read some material concerning how these four thoughts they suggested. I want to share them with you as well to become knowledgeable about the issues, to write or call elected government officials of local media expressing your views, to speak with store managers who display that pornographic material, as well as join others in your effort. In other words, there are those already fighting. Pull your resources. Have your voice even louder as a result. So these things are even further enhancing the suggestion that's already been made. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6 again. A modern version of it. Flee from sexual immorality. Glorify God with your body. We can be victorious. Did you hear that? Can I say it again? Oh yes, there's a war going on and Satan is our enemy and he's powerful. He's the God of this world and he's going to do everything he can to distract you, discourage you, or defeat you. But Paul made this statement in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God that giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul went near the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, and he would say, I have fought. Did you hear that? I have fought. 
Remember when he said, I buffet my body to keep it under subjection. I don't want to, at the end of my life, become a castaway. Paul was a human and he was tempted like as we are. But he fought and he said, I finished the course and I know that there's ground of righteousness laid up for me and not to me only, but to all them that love is appearing. 1 Corinthians 10, we're told, we're promised. There will not be a temptation that you'll face, but God will, with a temptation, make a way of escape. Oh, we've got to find it. We've got to pursue it. We've got to make sure we go down that road. We can't allow ourselves to say, well, God, you're going to have to do something about this. Satan is our enemy. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Paul would tell his son in the faith, you've got to deny ungodliness. Well, that's not all that he said, by the way. What else did he say? Listen to it. He told Timothy and Titus similar things. Titus this time. Deny worldly lust. That's the negative. Then he said, and you've got to live soberly, righteously, and godly. We've got to put out the evil. We've got to do that which is good. Then in 1 Peter chapter 2, We'll close with this passage that tells us about Jesus Christ who left us an example that we should follow in His steps. If Jesus came to your house, what would He find? If Jesus visited in your house, I know it's not going to happen, but at the same time, think with me just for a moment. Would you have to get rid of some magazine? Would you have to get rid of some things? Would you have to make sure you turn the television off? Didn't you turn it on? How would you act if Jesus were there and Actually, He is. In Psalm 139, David said, I can go to the mountains, I can go to the depth of the earth, I can't get away from God. God sees everything, knows the thoughts of our minds. Let's make sure that we do not in any way do that which will cause us to be lost because of a temporary pleasure of the flesh. Pray with me, please. Almighty God, tonight in our assembly we've tried to look at these things that bother so many lives. Please help us, Father. Have the strength and the courage to do that which is righteous. If there's those that are here that have this problem, may they in this hour or hours or days to come take care of it while yet they may. But Father, let us pool our resources. Let us pray together. Let's work together and try to have an impact upon our world, our community, our state, and our world for holiness and godliness. Thank you, Father, for giving us this time. And dear Father, if there are any that are not members of thy precious kingdom, precious bride, the church, may they upon their faith turn from their sin, confess you, and be baptized even this night. If there are those that have wandered away, may they come home. We want to be servants, Father, to help them in any way we can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need to come to Christ, do so as we stand and sing.